Check. Hey, hey, hey. 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 A little hot. A little hot. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I was talking like No, you're fine. No, but I'll we need, talking but, that's, but that's the voice I need to That's what Please I need to count for. Please include It's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking right now. This is my speaking voice. Yeah, I'm going to be talking at about this level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I can handle I that. All right. I think we're rolling. Good to go. So, yes. Hello and welcome back to Projecting. Um, here with David and David Bienvenue and Greg Manson. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. We're, uh, you know, just hanging out, chatting, having a few beers, and uh, start talking about sci-fi and horror. I know David, you and I are planning on doing an episode for a little while, and uh, invited Greg out tonight. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, great to have him on. So this is kind of a more impromptu. Not that my stuff's particularly planned out, but <laughs> it was nice to have Greg. First of all, I want to say uh, rest in peace, uh, Fife Dog. <laughs> oh my god all right anyway you off to a strong start uh but yeah we um you know there's uh greg i don't know if you've uh, had a chance to listen to the podcast no worries if not i don't i don't particularly uh share it very well i just kind of put it out there but basically have people on and whether it's friends professionals colleagues whatever and we just kind of you know shoot the shit for lack of a better term and right on sounds covered. good i've had people talk about Healthcare, and I had a whole episode where I talked to an old friend from Virginia about electronic medical records, which actually turned out to be really interesting. My brother and I talked about Creole identity, um, <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. So I know you two are both really like really focused on talking about horror and sci-fi, not just as genres, but as cultural pieces, as significant for dialogues about you know race, sexuality, whatever, and just as an art form in general, and just how sci-fi and horror, horror kind of provides a unique avenue for those discussions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what kind of spawned this, what, what kind of spawned this idea? I, I think recently I, uh, one of the things that I, somebody recommended to me the Black Mirror series and I saw that and I uh, heard about the, you know, the, uh, the comparisons that it was being drawn to, um, the Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone, which, yeah, you yeah. know, I own all Rod of... Rod Sterling, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the Twilight Zone, all... For, Tales from the Crypt, I own them on DVD, which is an outdated, an outdated, you know. I watched Primer and DVD the other yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I recently talked to somebody, or it was a few months ago, and I was defending watching movies on VHS, and she was like, obviously, you never watched a movie on VHS. <laughs> but I have all that stuff, and, and I, I really, I, th- I believe, Greg Manson, I believe you saw a few episodes, but, you know, I, I saw a lot of them, and I love them, and... The, the, what they were making me think about but uh, so I watched an interview with the creator and one of the things that was very very interesting with what he was talking about was although you know with the plot devices a lot of the basis is in uh, the interaction between humans and uh, the progress of technology but at the same the time singularity but what what was sorry partic- <laughs> no, it's okay what was particularly important to him was how it really wasn't about villainizing the technology but rather talking about uh, human nature and right. and to bring it back to with what I wanted to talk to you about and just whether we did it on this medium or we were just doing it at a bar talking shit uh, I think oh you know we did this before you know, yeah. it was comedy it was very like off the cuff yeah but uh, it's it, it, I, when I watch science fiction and when I consume it I think of how much it is really about social and cultural commentary that you're not finding that kind of flavor of you know you know, cultural criticism in any other uh, storytelling device other than science fiction and horror, you know. Sure. 
what do you think, Greg? So I know you're you're big sci-fi. You were talking about Star Trek earlier too, especially with like yeah, all the yeah. cultural commentary. My friend um, Ben Gilliatt, he's been on this podcast twice, and like I know he's brought up Star Trek, but like nine times out of ten when we're chatting about video games, movies, whatever, he starts immediately going Mass Effect, Star Trek, any sort of sci-fi stuff, and talks a lot about like agency and free will, and about just depictions of sexuality and gender, and and that's like that's just a thing he always points out. But I can a lot of his topics are sci-fi and you were saying that too how you, you specifically talked about Star Trek as soon as we were discussing yeah. this episode yeah well well, the big thing about Star Trek is when you're exploring the final frontier and hanging out with, with <laughs> all the women just stop listening <laughs> uh, and you're hanging out and you're involved with um, aliens and all of that you're gonna get the your main characters that you already have connection with are gonna be naturally in a position where equality is important Mm -hmm. and uh, treating others with respect is important. Understanding that uh, somebody's culture will be different. Right on. So so as a person that has never actually seen anything Star Trek movies or television, what is your favorite? If I were to get into it, what is the one to get into it I, I hear series or movie or whatever yeah, yeah uh, he's gonna say Wrath of Khan really Wrath- <laughs> uh, I'm a fan of the Abrams reboot um, but the original series has a place in my heart for sure uh, oh, do you I'm remember a, about when that came out uh, 60s okay oh wow that long ago yeah um, I, I find that Star Trek is a lot like the Twilight Zone except science fiction whereas Twilight Zone treads more on the horror Definitely, yeah, it definitely has sci-fi episodes, but it's yes. not exclusively sci-fi, no, for sure. No, but, I mean, Star Trek is definitely going to be your exclusive... Well, it's, it's always in space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask, because with, with Greg just said, Star Trek maybe probably for you was an a- adolescent introduction into sci-fi. Yeah. We, we want to talk yeah. about horror. For me, it was the Twilight Zone, all the, you know, um, the sci-fi channel sci-fi channel introduced me to the twilight zone so what was your first foray memorable foray into science fiction that struck a nerve i mean star wars obviously classics as a kid um when i really started to see like sci-fi as a storytelling device is so cliche but um twilight zone was big for me Uh, my mom actually as a kid this is not the cliche part you actually just made me think of this um as a kid my mom, you know, my, my parents weren't like reading books as at bedtime. They were, my parents were around, but that just wasn't their their parenting method. But one thing my mom would do sometimes <clears throat> was we'd either watch a movie in their room while they were paying bills, you know, then back when it's only male based. So paying bills is the awesome night because we all hung out in my parents' room, like on their bed and like all hung out there and watched our kids' movies. But other times she would literally just tell us, God, you really dug this up. She would just literally tell us um, Twilight Zone stories. She would literally just just oration. Was she good? She yeah. I, I mean, she, she wasn't, like, she wasn't doing impressions or anything. It was just she just told the stories. And it that was re- very <clears throat> just straightforward. It shows you how universal those themes are. And yeah. then beyond that, I remember in college watching Firefly, and as cliche as that is, like Firefly is like the space western, and I was very like, ah, oh, that sounds stupid. And I don't know. I found a lot of it was a very powerful series. I think. Like most things, uh, it's a little rose-tinted people's view. It wasn't a perfect show. But it was a very unique show, and I remember watching that and getting... Like, I always... Whenever I sell... The reason I bring that one up is whenever I sell Firefly to people, I go, don't think of it as a space show. 
think of it a show that takes place in space. And I imagine that's probably what Star Trek feels like a lot. Because as much as it gets technical, like say, you know, set, you know, phase, set phases of stun, Added all that sense. stuff. Yeah. Star Trek is about the human condition, right? Right. Space um, is the backdrop, not the point. Yeah. Um, it is different than uh, you brought up growing up with Star Wars. It is vastly different because... Oh, they're completely different. Yeah. yeah. Star Trek deals... They want it's way more Star Wars is a Star Trek issues. fan want to tell you that they're very different. Well, Star Trek's super dense. It just dense. looks like a bunch of nerds I mean, honestly, to me. Star Wars isn't nearly as dense. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was getting... No, but you're right. Even right. it I mean, fell like, flat. It's true. It's like, it's like... I know what you're saying. You're yeah. I would... <laughs> I would I would compare Star Wars to more of a uh, Arthurian legend or more of a story um, about epic the epic battle between you know the opposer and the oppressed mm-hmm. you know whereas the rebellion and the empire exactly uh, whereas Star Trek it it's in that <clears throat> weird area of morality you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I was listening to an interview with uh, Robert Rodriguez, who used to, he said he used to be a friend with uh, Lucas. And supposedly, weird piece of trivia was uh, Lucas ended up picking up uh, writing Star Wars when he found out that he couldn't do an adaptation of uh, Flash Gordon, which I, I, I didn't know that. Apparently, before. Lucas p- picked up a lot from Flash Gordon, specifically the, uh, the scrolls at the beginning. I mean, that's ripped from Flash Gordon. Right on, right on. But it is inspired by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I. Sorry. Just... <laughs> well, what do you, what do you think about this? Which is, you know, I, I was I'm having right. a conversation with my brother earlier today, and one of the things we went to a high school where we were taught um, in Latin the Aeneid, and we were taught in, in Greek oh, yeah. the Odyssey and in the Iliad. But what was interesting about these tales, and I, I was, I wanted to bounce this idea off of you, is what's kind of implicit to the genre of horror even though we haven't really touched that or sci-fi is that these are morality tales oh yeah it's the same it's the same reason why our bible parables even for the non-religious are memorable the whole the whole point sorry memorable not memorable why they're remembered or memorable and it's not about the specificity of like it's not about jesus in particular or about the people in it in particular it's that it's like teach a man to fish right it's it's all those it's they're, they're parables that they're specifically called that for a reason it's about it's not about the lecture. It's about through a narrative tale you teach a lesson. And I think right. sci-fi and horror definitely encapsulates that. I I bring up just today's Easter, by the way, as we record this, so it's uh it's very apropos. But and we anyway, just, we just finished watching uh, Superman versus Batman. We won't. and that's the whole morality. <laughs> well, the, whole, the whole thing's yeah, yeah. a battle of morality. It's about light versus dark. You know, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. It's that's the whole question. Is about like it, it. It's I will give them credit. I hadn't thought about this. It deals with the vigilante question without ever saying, are vigilantes okay? Like, that's what every... I love Daredevil. They're very on the nose about that right now. A lot of shows, a lot of movies are like, vigilantism, vigilantism, is it okay? And, like, that's a compelling discussion, but when every movie and show is doing it, it kind of waters it down. For a movie that really has to deal with vigilantism, I thought they dealt with it a very oblique way and kind of interesting, now that I think about it. Yeah. But anyway... We can, uh... But it is, but it is interesting <laughs> talking about you know again. It was my own point, so I, I wanted to kind of gauge this horror, off, yeah, gauge this off of you, which is the the idea of uh, science fiction and use of the use of the metaphor, the science fiction universe, right. or a science fiction universe of the metaphor to you know to lens and to contextualize a, a current modern issue. 
Well, you especially know, stuff like Twilight Zone, they would never do like <clears throat> the classic story. What if you were the one straight guy in a in a world of gay people, right? But Twilight Zone would never do that. They would instead do something. You're the one human on the planet of this type, right? They would like <laughs> that's true. It's like that's that's what they would do instead. They would never directly attack it. Yeah. It's something that, but anyone who watches it would immediately pick up on it. That's the point. Like I think Star Trek was very triumphant that way too, right? It's a lot of these like. Yes. Anyone would pick up on it, but it never says it. But I think that that also, that's a sign of good storytelling. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. That's their strength. That's that's where they succeeded. And that's why Twilight Zone is so memorable. Why my mom told me them as a kid. Yeah. Like the the stories are so, you're right. Like it's it's human condition. It's, It's a greater narrative. It's a greater truth. It's not about the specifics. It's about what the tale tells you. Um, what I like about horror and science fiction is that it gives the artist a platform, a platform to be uh, totally creative and make they know a world. Nobody's gonna watch it. <laughs> <laughs> make a world of their own, you know. Um, Just kind of like world building with like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And Middle Earth. Fantasy, but yeah. yeah, but Middle Earth is a great reference point. I mean, yeah. the, here's a story that it's about so many things. It's about class. It's about war. Religion. It's about religion. <laughs> You know, uh, but yet it all exists in Middle Earth. It never really happened, and a lot. And I think a lot of people are turned off by that, unfortunately. But you know, there, there, there's a narrative there that speaks leaps and bounds about the human condition. Well, that's what I've always talked to a lot of people about. Is like, you know, Lord of the Rings did incredibly well, and it's easy to say, oh, because the epic battles and action sequences, maybe. And I, I think that's a very simplistic. I think. Lord of the Rings, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all these things like that. They really... You're talking about the books or the movies? Both. Okay. I think they hit a stronger nerve than that. And um, what was I talking about with somebody? We were talking about... It wasn't Lord of the Rings. Oh, I can't remember it. We were talking about... I was talking about a show with somebody. Oh, oh so Harry Potter, right? Okay. Why did Harry Potter sweep the nation? And in a, in a at a time, when it really came out, that was what, the late 90s? I mean, now it's like, you can argue this or not, nerd culture's popular, blah, 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 Big Bang Theory, all those things. But fantasy and all these things tend to be very, they were very just, it was the nerd thing, it was the geek thing. And and Harry Potter, for some reason, is so popular. And I distinctly remember in college, Pottermore is this big, like, thing people do online where it's like, it's it's not an MMO, it's like, it's all text-based stuff and, mm-hmm. and visual but it's not like an mmo like world of warcraft like but a turn like a, left and you this is what well you not, see, even, not or... even like that it's like it's like you're at the schools it's all just like you make a decision it's not a text-based rpg or anything but you it's like uh i can't think of a good comparison but it's not really a full game it's just kind of this interactive media thing okay mm-hmm. and when they bought all the servers for it all this rumbling was around like oh my god they make a, they're gonna make a harry potter and mmo like world of warcraft style and World of Warcraft is the classic, like, nerds the gold live in their basement. Yes, yeah. it's absolutely that. But the moment it was Harry Potter associated, everyone was amped about it. And I still cannot, I can't quite put the nail, and like, Harry Potter was books, it has this other stuff, but it's like, it was just fascinating to me that suddenly World of Warcraft is nerdy, but the moment the exact same model people thought it was going to be Harry Potter, suddenly it was okay. This is fascinating to me. And like, I think that's about something. Universal stories and truths. I think that's what it all boils down to is relatability. Yeah, right? but but uh, talking talk about, about Harry Potter, I think that says something about uh, J.K. Rowling's 
language. It oh is, yeah, it's incredibly relatable as an adolescent. I mean, uh, no, but not but but the way that she writes, it's very juicy. You can you know you can shower in her language. It's I, it doesn't yeah, take like a that. stretch <laughs> of an imagination to imagine the the the, the scenes that she is painting for you it is with very her vivid. words. It is very vivid. One of the things that you know. Uh, uh, the other Greg that's not Greg Manson who I'm talking about uh, we have movie night at his house every Wednesday right. night and I think last week that we were hanging up hanging out I, I think Harry Potter is an interesting discussion point because uh, with what we're talking about right now um, do you remember in the 90s when they got banned from was it just oh, Catholic yeah. schools or public schools I don't or? remember what it was but I do remember the controversies around Harry Potter specifically and about witchcraft and all that I, I it, yeah, it is yeah. weird because I I think about um, you know when we were you know maybe up to ten years old versus nowadays I, I kind of think about something like that and wondering if it would cause headlines or anything like that a fantasy story. But you would think because of the importance of Hogwarts in the story, that some people would look at it as promoting education. Yeah, you know, I actually of all the discussion, I've never even thought about that. About like the glorification of education in school. Yeah, Cause never the, thought the about importance that. of it. Because what's going to happen if you? Because they're a... out of control if they don't go to school. That's I, a real. I, I, I've never I, thought about that. I thought though, if you went to school, huh. then some person that killed your parents is going to come and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and he would know where to find you. The he Zodiac would... killer will find you <laughs> during lunchtime. <laughs> but um, no, that's interesting. I never thought about that. About the idea of like it all centers around education. I I I can't believe that. I've. I've never had that thought or conversation. Yeah. That's fascinating. Huh. Well, Mind if, blown. <laughs> no, it really is. Like, I, I, just, I, was like, I was like, oh, wow, that's incredibly obvious. I, I totally missed that. I, th- I bet everyone else is like, <laughs> anyone, they're, like, they're like, yeah, dumbass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it all kind of took place in a school. But um, I just never thought about the backdrop in that way. I just was sure. like, oh, yeah, it's the glorification of education. They're not, they're not wizards until they finished their time at Hogwarts, you right. know? And I think what I did was, uh, a few moments ago, I, I kind of uh, fell short in articulating, but I, I guess with what I was trying to draw the parallel with is how people were treating Harry Potter in the 90s in almost right. a way of censorship from banning it mm-hmm. from right. middle schools and public schools, whether, I mean, middle schools and high schools, whether they be public or um, religiously affiliated. At the same time, what you kind of look at the form of, of uh, science fiction is what you are doing is you are you are, in a way, you're dealing with censorship by interpreting your message into this other... You're, you're criticizing or, or talking about something without actually kind of, you know, hitting the note. I guess... Nail on the head. Yeah, and, and I guess if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit here because okay. we talked about sci-fi, and I think sci-fi... I think you kind of said it earlier, Greg, it said it hits the contemporary issues and social issues of the day. And I think that, like, you know, I'm really thinking about sci-fi and, hit, and horror and why they kind of share the same, you know, space. I think that, I, I kind of think of sci-fi as contemporary, and I think of, um, like, modern issues, right? They show their age as they go on, because you can tell, like, oh, this this Twilight Zone episode dealt with this cultural issue at the time. Stuff that's still pervasive today, but it's, it's it deals with a very, like, directly a social and cultural issue. I'm repeating myself. So, horror, I feel like, deals more with, as we were saying earlier, we were talking about this episode and what we were going to talk about, deals a lot with more like the human condition deals about with like what are we afraid of what keeps us up at night but not just in the like oh what's under the bed but it's like death it's about mortality it's about 
you know, any sort of things that affect the soul, anything that, you know, what, what is, what are demon stories about? Demon stories are about loss of control. That's a hot, that's just all about the end of the day. Demonic possession is like, what's more terrifying than something else holds control of your decision making? It's like about free will. It's about death. All these things. And like, that's like, I think, I think going into that subject, because I think horror deals with that a lot more than sci-fi does when you think. Very excited. <laughs> no, I would say so. me. If you don't, I just, well, I just, no, no, I said I'm very excited. As far as forced my hand on that discussion, I just think. No, as I'm far as civil issues go, nothing, uh, <clears throat> is more obvious i think in horror than bram stoker's dracula you know um it's about sexism in victorian era you know um it came out in the 1800s i'm not particularly sure what year so you don't know the book yeah okay sorry i'm sorry forgot shifting gears not movies books yeah got it yeah so it's a 19th century right i i i'm terrible with dates despite the history degree and um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah 19th century work but it's the definitely origi- with the original Dracula yes uh, like uh, there's a lot of blood transfusions that is uh, ultimately a metaphor for uh, sex and uh, you have three to four characters all having blood transfusions with the same woman you know so that's something uh, to be said yeah. with about that um, well I, I, I think what's kind of with off of the point that uh, you were talking about, I think that the the interesting thing is like a, a Hitchcock quote on suspense or horror, which is within horror, speaking mostly as a as a as a you know a film genre, is you know in a movie it's all about that build up with what you were talking about how it was tapping into this fear. In horror movies of of you know of old, what would happen is the suspense and everything lasts in the buildup or the anticipation of what's going to happen. You know, the killer chopping somebody's head off or stabbing them is not the the point to shriek. It's more about that slow build of these characters are in this situation where it's what's going to happen. Well, situation of where they're going to get their head cut off less than me. Yeah, that's more important than the actual action. Is that yeah. you know it's going to happen. You're like, oh my god, don't open that door. Oh my god, don't go in that room. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. But I think all the anxiety um, and stress that comes with it. Um, for the most part, from what I've seen and read of horror, I think you're right. It does battle more about identity. Yeah, it's just all these like personal demons, like the things that keep you up at night, but yeah. not just in the fear sense, but just the existential crises we all face. Yes, yeah. I mean, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right. prime example. You know, it's the beast within, you know. The animality of man, like, it's the, yeah. So what is your favorite? Uh, yeah. We can we can do story. I know you mentioned Dracula, but... Um, What's your favorite horror? Is, yeah. is it by far Frankenstein by Mary Shelley? It's very cliche, but... Well, it's not cliche at all. Um, it's considered... Why do you love it? Uh, it's considered a pioneer of science fiction, if not the first science fiction piece ever written. Um, and it does reference the fear of technology. Right. However, we do live in an age where technology should, I feel, should be embraced. However, it is important to remember our more romantic sides and control the technology because it can easily. You know, well, what do you think? Be I mean, misused the, and this and that. It's the most classic story to be told of man playing God. Yes. Is it not? And the whole introduction in the novel itself is 
I think it's how is it how exactly is it written? Because I believe it's written almost as letters to home from Victor Frankenstein. That's Dracula. After, That's Dracula. That okay. Never mind. I'll shut up. <laughs> um, it's written in the third person. I believe, or it could be first person as Victor Frankenstein. Not particularly sure on that. It's been a minute. Um, but yes, uh, my favorite aspects are besides the whole technology thing is that also the monster becomes more intelligent than the creator. Right. You know, which echoes some philosophy. You know, like when your creation outstrips you. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, God is dead, right? Nietzsche. I mean, classic cliche. I mean, that's, name that's, that's the message. I mean, it's true, and that's a time when angst about that's at the time of the rise of like this is post um, enlightenment. This is you know, your rise of your cafes where people are shop, you know, yeah. swapping into like. I mean, this is the time of the Russian Revolution. You know, we're fifty years out from the overthrow of the Russian Empire, and the whole thing is the whole thing is based around intellectual circles meeting in coffee shops and talking about what is man's place what is their right you know and that and that's a very like that's a big crisis in the 19th century it's yes. about like what is man what is their role has science gone too far right like these these that's a very big question i think frankenstein definitely encapsulates that what what is your favorite horror film or or what just horror work yeah I mean, Lovecraft's got some amazing... I love short stories. I love short stories. I've been reading Ray Bradbury recently, a lot of Ray Bradbury again. And um, the Illustrated Man, thank you, Mike, for the recommendation. And um, but uh, He really drives it home, though. No, he doesn't. Like, Bradbury, Lovecraft. as someone who likes... <laughs> oh, I would say Lovecraft. Lovecraft does, too. I think both of them do. I remember, I remember in... God, I was in economics. Everything's the, the elective. lost. There you go. But the elective, I remember Mark and I were in this economics class in, um, at Jesuit... And it was just, it was nonsense. We weren't learning anything. And, like, we were acing every test. It wasn't, like, because we were smart. This class was stupid. It was just, everyone was making A's. And we got, we wouldn't pay attention in class. We would, Mark just started bringing books to class and started handing them to me when he'd finished them. So I read I Am Legend uh, before the movie came out, like, right before it came out. Like, yeah, yeah. very good book, by the way. And then he handed me who the... Wrote, who wrote I Am? Um, I forgot who did I Am Legend. But it, yeah, actually, it's apropos because it's a, uh, I've used that twice now. But it's appropriate to this conversation because it is kind of a horror zombie thing. But he gave me the works of H.P. Lovecraft. And we read a bunch. We both read a bunch of these short stories. And, like, they were so cool. I mean, they were, it was, like, didn't even, I don't even think Call of Cthulhu was in it. It was just a bunch of just, there's a Native American one where this person found this old colonial house. And this person that haunted it. Like, it wasn't clear what they were, what they represented. It was a very, like, in high school I wasn't quite equipped yet to fully extract a Lovecraft work but even then you read it and you're like this is something special well, I, I think the, the, the thing that's interesting is uh, you know you read some of God, his y'all work y'all are digging up some old memories dude well I'm glad no this is so fun about this that's so cool um, sorry anyway. with Lovecraft I, I, you know there is definitely when you kind of read it there's almost this this psychosis of the author but the other thing is uh, you know I heard that he borrowed heavily very much from Poe but it which it makes sense. Within that, yeah, I mean, it, it is no. Um, Lovecraft is known, or he was. He has been quoted for having his more Poe stories, in which he said he deemed the term Poe stories. The man was a big admirer of the classic Gothic, Gothic uh, tradition. So, but with 
is what's interesting and to go back to what you you were talking about was that almost with Poe there's almost treating terror and mania with this idea of the unknown so we we fear of the unknown that's a lot of his stuff now but culturally does Lovecraft have any revelance Uh, I would say now at uh yeah, dog. Didn't he he speaks. <laughs> he speaks a lot about uh, the occult and his characters that deal with cults are usually portrayed as victims, and I think that that says something for uh, do not be under the influence of anyone. You know, think for yourself. Be an individual. Right. Otherwise, you can you know. Be brain allow yourself to be brainwashed in a way, right? So I operate independently. It's all about free will, free thinking. Um, but that is relatively as a stretch. I mean, keep in mind that this is a pulp writer. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think Lovecraft is supposed to be read as, uh, you know, as a pulp writing. You know, more essentially, which is never a bad thing. I, you know, uh, what, like I, I was telling y'all earlier. Sometimes I feel like watching uh, Woody Allen's Manhattan. Sometimes I want to watch uh, Batman and Superman duke it out, you know? But it's weird because when, when I think of... I think Nietzsche came up earlier, or is that a stretch that I... No, we didn't. We're talking about oh, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. And when I think of Lovecraft, I think of... I used to live in New York City, and it's Nietzsche or uh, Lovecraft would be the old man with the baseball cap yelling to himself on the subway, just talking to himself, like, that's who that guy would be. So whenever I read it, it's like, hey, it's a, it's a tad much there, HP. When you read... Probably, but... When you read Lovecraft, you definitely get a feeling of isolation and bitterness and hatred, for sure. But also, his language is very great, too, because it's, you know, his, his use of adjectives mm-hmm. is great you know he uses the word grotesque like over and over and over and over and it makes it very grotesque you guessed it so what's your favorite horror film i'm i'm torn between wreck and um orphanage because they're just they're different it's hard to compare but wreck like probably i have to go orphanage is the probably one of like the just overall just powerful films but i love wreck just because i'm a strong advocate controversially so of the found footage film i think that people shit on it because there aren't a lot of good ones out there but there are some good ones and they're amazing like as terrible that director who did chronicle chronicle was so fun i loved that movie right like i i thoroughly enjoyed it and then wreck just they never use the camera like shutting off or shaking as a gimmick to mask poor effects. Like that movie was terrifying. And then I remember watching it and immediately starting Wreck 2, which picks up the moment Wreck 1 ends with a SWAT team entering the building. And I, was, I immediately went, this is Alien and Aliens. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, which by the ooh, that's appropriate. Horror sci-fi blend right there. There you go. Yeah. Alien yeah. Is, I would like to think that Alien is more of a ho- horror Alien picture. 1 is definitely a horror film. It is definitely a horror film in a sci-fi setting. Yeah, very gothic. Alien, oh my God. very gothic. Yeah, it's a terrifyingly dark, um, just... And I have someone make a really good point. Um, you know, there's a little, little heavy, sorry, y'all, but I just want to say it's a very interesting... A lot of it has to do with the metaphor of, like, male rape and, like, male of, like, the inability of, like, 
it's like what happens when masculinity is completely stripped away because the whole idea is like the aliens like you know entering all these men it's usually the men right it's usually like getting the men's mouths impregnating them like it's this very like I remember someone like kind of gave me that reading of it and I looked up some right I was like that's a really compelling yes discussion and like it's it's and who's the you know Sigourney Weaver right she's the one how do you say her name Sigourney Weaver okay I was right good got it so so Weaver's like her her character it's the woman I think there was one other female in the crew right one other woman in the crew who gets killed right yes yes but it's generally it's like a bunch of men who are like completely stripped out of all will autonomy like it's a very like when you really start breaking it down from a like academic standpoint that movie's like really unsettling well it's a really like it's a really screwed up movie well do you think that it it, (laughs) the the with the comment that your friend made do you think that that is actually what the film's about or do you think that they use that premise of male rape for lack of a better word to actually kind of drive the terror home i i do think the director definitely kept it in mind i i think whether it was that direct i think that the idea of stripping down men and making the woman a lead was a very deliberate action i think there's no question there what how far does that go Eh, i don't know i'm not him but um that was um ridley scott right yeah, yeah. I mean, James Cameron was the yeah. James Cameron was too. No? Yeah, it was yeah. James Cameron was a, was Aliens. Ridley Scott was Alien. But the first one, I mean, that movie is just. Whew. I think it was successful in the fact of you know I've told you this a number of times, probably both of you. But what is the ultimate thing for a movie going experience for me is when you are able to create a cinematic world that is different than the one that we kind of live and breathe in. And I think Alien to me was one of the most successful you know examples they in, you very quickly yes and and it is it is all out you know well a quick little quick little tangent and please cut me off if i go too long on this but um kirby boss a very talented director who went to loyola here and he recently moved out to california and he made a very interesting argument that i was very against at first and now i kind of get it um you know not the same like after a while i kind of thought about it he said he thinks that george lucas is one of the greatest directors of all time and not because Star Wars is a cult. I, I, think I don't I even think of, Star Wars fans would agree with Well, you, no, 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 no. But he doesn't, I didn't fully agree with it, but he made a very interesting point where he said, episode four, the first Star Wars comes out. And he goes, he introduces you to this galaxy far, far away, the Force, lightsabers, these planets, these people. There's so many concepts he introduces so fast and you're immersed so quickly. And he goes, he argues well, that that's a very scroll. strong... But Half those words don't mean anything to you until you've watched the movie. Okay. And so I just thought it was a very interesting point. I was like, I didn't 100% agree with him, but I also really can't refute his point. I was like, you're right, dude. He threw us into a galaxy far, far away, and within like 20 minutes, you've accepted the terms of that universe. It's it's pretty impressive. Getting people to really accept a world without spoon-feeding it to them, you know, it's, it's... For a guy who spoon-feeds a lot of his dialogue, it's actually pretty impressive feat and I think that contributes a lot to the success of Star Wars is that people just buy into that world so quickly I think the other thing that was like really I mean from a VFX standpoint I mean in terms of talking to him whereas you know uh, I I think what I'm trying to say is that with where you're talking about how Lucas is unique as a director who introduces a film being like this is chapter four by the way oh yeah <laughs> um, um, it's true that's y'all, like, it was just, anyway that's the whole point though. I just thought it was a have y'all ever heard the idea that episode four just 
exclusively episode four, not Star Wars, right. is actually about the American Revolution. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Everybody on the well, on the starship has a British accent yeah. for one. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of World War Two in there for sure. Oh yeah, Star especially Trooper, with the dog Stas fights. And, with the dog fights, yeah. they're you know between the X wings and the Tie fighters. That's nothing short of uh, you know n- like having read about Lucas, his appreciation for the Red Baron right. and all of that. But it's also like the stormtroopers. You know, the trench runners were called in World War One for the Germans. Stormtroopers. Oh, okay. Stormtroopers. It's German for stormtrooper. Wow. And that was World War One, but they kind of carried. But this whole thing is like, you know, Vader's Hitler and the stormtroopers are his SS and Nazi army, right? Like, look at their uniforms. He's clean cut. Like, I don't know. It's 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 very like the the World War Two analogies are very obvious. But I never heard the American Revolution one. Yeah, that's interesting. So the British accent thing—that's a good point. Well, it's yeah, a lot of them do have that kind of like it, that regal. Could... Even if it's not British, they all very sound very regal and they're all very upright. But also, it says something because the. Um... The Empire doesn't really know how to handle the rebellion. Right. Right? It's so, unique. It's different. And in a way... Hell yeah, it was different. Um, <laughs> the rebellion... Now, this this is probably a side effect of just any rebellion. But, the, I mean, technology-wise, I mean, just like the American colonies did not have the technology that the British Army had... Definitely did not have the navy that the British Army had. But well, Return of the Jedi, they still had a pretty impressive fleet. Well, like I said, <laughs> exclusively Episode Four. That's the other thing with Lucas and Ridley Scott with both of them is the way to one of the things to give you believability about these technologies is to, no to make them look like they've been they're old and used. <laughs> like both of those, if you think about. Oh, that's true. Everything in Star Wars is kind of rusty and kind of it's worn. It's not fresh. Firefly does that too. Everything's like this. This is used. This is not pristine, clean metal. I like that aesthetic. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, it's like it's like people live in a world like your home doesn't have a fresh coat of paint every day. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it it uh, it's, you know uh, I I also like the other aesthetic. I also like the THX eleven thirty eight. Haven't seen it. Uh, it's very. Apple white, if you know what I mean. You know, it's very clean, very clear. Um, I do like that. It's like it's like hermetically sealed. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the worn idea is that you get a feeling of hopelessness. You get a feeling of they cobble together this group. It's it's they grab what they could. It's it's the pitchforks fighting the guns, right? It's it's you pick up the first weapon you can find. What I what I like about very good at what huh? I like about Blade the Runner's clean future look is that there's no culture in it, and that's also you know not good either, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no personality. There's yeah, no, yeah, everything is just done for you. Right you know. That's interesting. But so so yeah, you're saying no, no, no. I was gonna say, what's your favorite sci-fi world or what? I'd have to come back to that. That's Blade tough. Runner, dude. Blade Runner. It's a, a good one. Or Brazil. Have you seen Brazil? No. <laughs> Blade Runner again, referencing Frankenstein, the creator oh, yeah. and God. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know the, uh, the, uh, the uh, replicants, right? Yeah. yeah no. mm. So, what did you like about Blade Runner? 
I mean, as a well, world. I think I took away from it. I, I think I read it in an English literature class in high school. So you read? Do oh, Android Stream of Android Stream Electric Sheep? Yeah, right. I read that in high school too. But I was like, for Zach Poche, I think lent me that book. God, I haven't seen him. It was a sign reading. Oh, for me, yeah, for me it was for it was a, he lent it to me and like I was like, I loved it. It was radically different from the movie. Yeah, that's I gifted that book to somebody else, but I forgot how different it was, and I gifted it to somebody that it's I a novella, follow. right? It's no, it's a hundred eighty pages. No, a long novella, <laughs> okay, or a short novel, okay. Yeah, it's like the like somehow the in between for the in betweens. It really is like it's yeah. like a like not quite out yet. It's a short book. Yeah, and I don't even remember what the plot differences were because I read the book so long ago. And the other thing about Blade Runner is when we're talking about it, no, no two people that are talking about Blade Runner. All the stuff with the animals and him having the fucking the mechanical sheep versus a real one, and yeah. all the like livestock stuff, and him trying to leave Earth. That was all. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember some of that stuff. But um, the other thing about Blade Runner is that. When two people talk about the movie Blade Runner, they might not necessarily be talking about the same thing. Because the director's cut? There's been, I think there's been about five cuts of the film that have come out. You know, I think the one that's on Netflix right now is, is the one with him narrating. Which yeah. Is yeah. I'm, I'm not cut, sure what is... cuts I've seen, but I've seen one without the narration and one with the narration. The narration is the theatrical cut. And that's the one that people say is the worst. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Well, apparently, I, I, I haven't watched it, but from what I've been, so take this with a grain of salt from what I've heard, is that Ford's narration was very lackluster, and it was, and then they kind of gave it a weird happy ending, and basically it was just to take the edge off the movie because it was too dark. <laughs> well, to, to, to bring up, I wonder if that means anything about his attitude on set, like if he was enjoying himself or not. No, it's, it's, it's very well known. You know, Harrison Ford, I think, at that time was very difficult to work with, which is, you know, I haven't, spoiler alert for Star Wars, I, I'm, I haven't seen it, but I know what it is in case anybody hasn't seen it. But Harrison Ford dies, right? But it's because Harrison Ford is supposedly, you know, um, a pain in the ass to work with. So when somebody was like, somebody's like, does Han Solo die? And I'm like, I haven't seen the movie. And I'm like, yeah, he dies. Because he didn't want to come back and work with them for what eight and nine yeah he hated Ridley Scott that's why it was kind of surprising that he signed on for um, Blade Runner 2 but anyway uh, to bring it back to what I enjoyed about Blade Runner is essentially it's kind of a philosophical question about humanity and not although touching well, person is the question about like, what makes the, you a person yes it's when you take something when you take something that is a uh, is this thing that feels and breathes and it has emotions, and it, and it looks like a human being, and not only that, but it has memories. Then when you kind of take that existence or the presence of cyborgs in that example, then really what does, what constitutes being a human being? But also I think it's about, referencing back to Frankenstein, it's about responsibility of the creator. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean... Well, his job is to literally execute their creations. Yes. And they're quite, like, it's, what's interesting, isn't his character kind of, like, somewhat clandestine, right? Like, it's not very, because they they realize that they're hitting dubious moral ground. Isn't that, maybe I'm remembering this well, incorrectly, but his character, he's not, like, a police officer showing a badge. He's kind of like this guy who just sneaks around I think it's like a guy that, he's a guy that left the force for right. some unknown thing, and then one of the big fan things that's been addressed by people that worked on the film is is he a cyborg himself right yeah is mm. he is he an android and that whole paper crane thing right yeah 
But the whole thing the is... the whole thing is they're talking about how they're, they have ones that don't know they're even... That they're not human. They're exactly. That believe, they, they believe they're human. Right. But, it, it, I mean, it all goes back to the question of, of when it turns into... When it turns into taking a story as a centerpiece, it becomes a great jumping off point of talking about what does it really mean to be human in the face of technology and all the possibilities that it represents of what really constitutes personhood. Yeah. And what does that mean? And and is there really a is there really a need to actually kind of define what humanity is if there were robots in the future? Right. Like you know, is that discussion even warranted? This idea of what does it really mean for us to be human beings? You know, I, I don't know. It, it it's just something to ponder. That's another movie that definitely blends sci-fi horror because it's a horror look for a sci-fi movie. Like, yeah. visually, it's a very horror film. It's very unsettled. That's why they did the narration afterwards. The movie wasn't originally designed to have the voiceover. They added it. It's yeah, just because yeah. the movie's just so dark and oppressive. It's very grim. Didn't it come out, like, after E.T. or something? Like, it did horribly. It's a it's a wonder that we're talking about this movie because I think it did really, really, really poorly. I have no idea, At the actually. box office. An- another horror film that talks a lot about morality and responsibility is The Hills Have Eyes. You know, it being of the Atom Age, you know, it, it's obviously a commentary of atomic warfare. It's all mutations, right? Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm not familiar with the concept. Great Nuclear flip. spill out. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's, it's an interesting movie. I saw it. I can't remember it. I think I prefer... Do you remember the remake? Did you see the remake? No, I have not seen the remake. All right. We got to go there. Okay. <laughs> David's look right now. Hor- hor- horror remakes. Which ones do you stand by? Because I was really excited for that Poltergeist one, but then some of the comments that I heard, it was like, oh, this guy fucking awful. Oh, um, Evil Dead. That was good for you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the remake. Yeah. It stands on its own. I-, I thought I thought it was a strong. Yeah. No, I. It's love- not perfect, but I thought like you know for a reboot it was strong. Yeah, I mean, remakes and everything are interesting. I remember listening to this interview with Elijah Wood on taking on the Lord of the Rings or something like that. Oof. One of the things that he was talking about about being Frodo in that live-action movie was just you just don't want to let the people that really, really care about this story down. And, and every time they reboot a horror movie, I just wonder if they, they think about that. of like, How do we not... Evil Dead was successful, but this idea of like how do we just not piss yeah. off the, our bread and butter. It's an interesting position because... You, don't want to. They're a minority, but they can bury your project. But you don't want to <laughs> necessarily repeat the same thing right. either. I mean, I think that that was the biggest fault against the Psycho reboot was that they used the same scripts, you know, this or the same screenplay. It's shot by shot, the same. And remember, like movie. context is important for a film. Like that movie was written and shot the way it was at that time for a reason. You shouldn't. I think what he did was he took some kind of like college art film school approach to it, which he, the film was ultimately about, even though they released it as a, as a major blockbuster and got financing as that, was he was essentially kind of exploring the idea of when you shoot something shot for shot, what is really the difference between the two films? If you have right. actors that are portraying the same thing and their pickups and everything are shot the exact same way and the story moves on exactly the same and it visually looks exactly the same, it's Gus Van Sant, the guy that did, you know, Elephant and, and 
goodwill hunting. So I think that's what he was going for for the film. That being said, nobody saw that as successful. And <laughs> yeah, because at that point, it's like, well, why don't I just watch the classic? Right. I do have a question. So, so, you know, we got a little more time left. I was, I know, as long as I've known you, Greg, you know, like 10 years, so I know it's been some lack of connection over time but the um R- romero has been just top tier for you oh yeah you yeah and big, e, it's big just, fan of the of dead saying, movies yeah it's it's so so talking about this like why why do those hit you so hard why is like this is my my uh, stereotypical radio moments like what what is the <laughs> impact of those films in your life no, but like wh- why do those movies always come out why do you you bring them up all the time it's such a touchstone for you what is it about them uh well what I I mean it's been said again and again I think the importance of specifically Dawn of the Dead is materialism I mean even after death the mall will still have consumers you know like that's pretty pretty scary um Both people yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Land of the Dead is about class um, equality more or less like the elite are safe right it's almost as if they built a big wall where they don't (laughs) want anybody in but did someone else pay for it most likely (laughs) um but at what point does the wall (laughs) at what point does the wall become a cage right yeah it always becomes your own trap yeah so once the zombies break into the wall now you're trapped. They're there. ruined, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and Night of the Living Dead is—I uh, wouldn't say necessarily about, but I would say references racism for sure, especially at the end, because the hero, an African American, walks out and uh, is shot for Just absolutely no reason. Trigger happy police. Just so, in the Why height in the height of the civil rights movement, George A. Romero, which took a big risk in casting that man for the lead, um, made it made it a big plot point. I and mean, it the main stuck. It's yeah, like it it people remember that. And at I mean, as far as the protagonist is concerned, who is who is the villain? Who who takes his life? Not the zombies, but, but the law enforcement. Yep. And I think that's, that's the ultimate central theme. I mean, uh, you know, one of the popular things to bring up with something like Frankenstein is really who is the monster. You know, Twilight Zone, it's always, it's never the monster, it's man, right? It's always yeah, it's man. the other guy it's sitting at people. the campfire. <laughs> right, it's people. People are always the problem. And in that case, specifically, police people. <laughs> so anyway, do you want to talk modern politics? Do we want to talk about what's going on? Uh, I'm uh, nothing's no, nothing's nothing. No, no, I was gonna say nothing's off limits with me. Dude. I, there's no secret how I feel about Trump, so don't worry about that. Yeah, no, I wish I could kind of have a sense of humor. I've been thinking for the past few months that it's a joke. For I mean, like a year and a half now. It, 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 a lot of people did. <laughs> oh no. Oh. We're getting the leaders we deserve, folks. <laughs> the GOP is getting the leader they deserve. You think so? 
Trump. I feel like it's loosely the modern political climate is somewhat. Well, I feel, true, I feel like going from Dawn of the Dead into the modern political. Well, it's climate. true. It's all about fear. Well, back to the fear topic. It's 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 fear mongering. It's the fact that the Democrats can put forth a candidate who might get indicted during her candidacy and they still feel confident says a lot. Like. Yeah. <laughs> That tells you a lot. I'm like, whether you're a Hillary Clinton fan or not, doesn't matter. I don't, I'm not saying if she's going to get indicted or if she, like, I'm not saying any what's going to happen with that or what I think should happen. But the fact that the Democrats feel comfortable putting forth a candidate who might be indicted during her election cycle, that's, that's a very, that says a lot. Is and it it's like emails? It's the email thing oh, and it's yeah. Benghazi. And <laughs> oh, like, Benghazi. Well, Benghazi's all this stuff is a controversy, but like the, the server stuff is a big thing too. Do you um, really see it as a... I don't know. As I'm saying, I'm saying like the fact that everyone kind of steps back and we're like, we have no idea what to think anymore. It's just, it, this is a crazy election. Well, the thing about, you know, reverting it back to the original <laughs> topic, the thing about... It's, it's important. The, the thing the about... This stuff captures this stuff, man. Horror and sci-fi captures this stuff. The thing about modern, what's going on politically right now in the U.S. is, um, I would say, uh, read 1984 by George Orwell so. and read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, as far as science fiction is concerned. No Brave New World? Brave New World, absolutely. Um, where, but I, I would say Maybe that Brave New Summer Reading List. Brave New World is more about a man's relationship with technology, right? But I think Brave New World is more appropriate than 1984. It's not. It's because no one's telling us what to think. They give you exactly what you want, so you think the way they want you to. That's the Brave New World. Okay, that's my that's my mentality. Brave New World's like they don't say don't do it or I'll kill you. They say here's something so you don't do what I don't want you to do. But ultimately, Brave New World. <laughs> Brand circuses. The responsibility <laughs> is on the consumer. Sure, sure, sure. But it's about 1984, it's about the victimization of society. Uh, and Alice Shrug is really about the glorif- uh, glorification of the uh, individ- individualism and essentially capitalism. Bootstraps. Yeah. So I would recommend Atlas Shrug. I think Atlas Shrug is very appropriate right to, now, unfortunately. Yeah. I hate to say that. <laughs> Did you see that film adaptation? I heard it was. I heard it was no, terrible. I did not. I have no time for that garbage. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's. A, I, I, I don't know. I think. It's, I don't, I can't imagine there being a good ver. Like it's like trying to say like doing a. I think it was like a, like a film adaptation of Nietzsche's. Uh, you know something about the Uberman. Sure, like something about like Freud's <laughs> civilization's <laughs> discontents. Like what? <laughs> Anthem is probably the only Iron Man book that could like possibly become a movie. Right on. And like even then it's still like dubious. Yeah. yeah. yeah as far as I'm concerned the very, the, the, the modern political climate is, is terrifying. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't really... But you're going to vote, right? No, I've never voted. You better vote. <laughs> no, I'm not going to vote. Who, who are my choices? It doesn't matter. You vote third party then. You express your discontent with the two party system. No, I'm not going to be complicit in any of your tricks there, Greg. <laughs> wiping my glasses <laughs> so I was going to try to come up with some clever like yeah. some sort of like Flying Spaghetti Monster 2016 or something but I can't think of a good one no. well I, I just just time no and Gary Johnson I mean that's another topic for have, another I conversation but Gary yeah the modern political climate <laughs> tell me that I can express my opinion I can I express my voice doing, by voting for I do two people that I don't want to vote for the month of the election I do plan on having people who support certain candidates on for projecting just for fun, just seeing how it goes. I'm just curious. Like basically having a series where I go 
tell me who to vote for and just see what people do. How do you plan on moderating it so they don't? I don't. Just start no, they can start screaming and spouting. That's fine. The whole point of it. They have to convince stuff. me to vote for someone. And wait, you you got it. You got to kind of treat the audience to a little something. You got to tell them that you're gonna vote for the person that sways you. Ultimately, I will. If really someone are. can convince me of the GOP or the Democrat candidate, I will. I will vote for the person. I'm. Pers- if neither of them can do it, I'm voting third party. I will vote though. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I mean, honestly, and I'm- I'll be honest. And for those of you who are like, "Oh, what's your bottom line?" Right now, I don't like either candidate. I will be voting third party to express my discontent with the two party system. But I'm. I'm also my votes changed several elections. I'm not very committed to anything in particular. I just think that the GOP and the Democrats both have a serious problems right now and i'm not sure i want to endorse that two-party system yeah i think we, i want to talk to you after we finish I yeah. want to ask you uh it, it's a horror movie in and of itself isn't it, it is it really <laughs> is way to bring that back <laughs> anyway so anything else you want to add guys any, any thoughts or lingering uh movies or anything that's something you really want to bring up rest in peace uh fight doc <laughs> uh i was told to bring up i'm fine yeah there it uh, is. No. I finds dope. <laughs> I just wanted to take the opportunity. I know it's cheesy. Do it. Um, but I just wanted to tell you guys that I'm happy we get to sit down and talk to each other. I'm glad that you guys are doing well and we uh, get to hang out. So thank you guys. I love doing this. This is it's fun as hell. All right. So thanks again, guys. And uh, I guess uh, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>